Wegen a bissel boimel macht men as a groisen yantiv? Starting you off with a little Yiddish on Messiah Podcast, because of a little oil we make such a big holiday? It's a good question. It's Hanukkah. Spinning tops and potato pancakes are great, but where's the substance? Today, we'll find out why we really celebrate Hanukkah. Messiah Podcast is a production of First Roots Design, created in conjunction with Messiah Magazine, a free publication in print or online at messiahmagazine.org. Put your hand and mine together. We will walk in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher, the rabbi from the Galilee. Welcome to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. I'm Damien. And my name is Ruben. Hey, Damien. Hi, Ruben. We've made it now to episode eight on the podcast. It's been very well received. So we thought, you know what? Why not change everything just to keep it exciting? Sure. sure. <laughs> I, I, of, of course, I'm kidding, but uh, there you will notice uh, some format changes. Like I'm going to be hosting some episodes, and uh, thank you to Ryan Lambert, our friend, for getting the podcast started with such a bang. But we're going to be featuring some new segments covering some of the phenomenal material from Messiah Magazine, and of course our dedication and continued focus on Messianic Jewish teaching for Christians and Jews with uh, a great list of guests, I'm happy to say, exemplified by today's guest, Aaron Eby, and our subject, which will be Hanukkah, because at the time of this recording, Hanukkah is in full flight. So right. that That's means right. one thing, Jewish Christmas. <laughs> No, it doesn't mean that. But a lot of people outside the Jewish world think that it kind of does mean that. Yeah, Chag Sameach to our listeners. Uh, you know, Hanukkah is probably the most well-known Jewish holiday. Uh, probably say, what would you say? Passover is a close second. Probably, yeah. Yeah, it's it. Hanukkah is celebrated today with you know candles, dreidels, my favorite jelly-filled donuts, of course, greasy potato cakes called latkes, and all of this is to symbolize the miracle of of lights. Right. What a what a holiday! The oil, yeah. the miraculous oil. I've always <laughs> loved Hanukkah because. Well, if I'm if I'm being totally honest, uh, all the things you said, dreidels, songs, jelly-filled donuts, and greasy potato cakes, but really, I've always loved it for what's behind all of that stuff, because there is an amazing story that happened behind all those, those uh, delicious trappings. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I love that stuff too, of course, and my children do, but obviously Hanukkah is not really about that stuff. Uh, and I think there's a real amazing story that a lot of people don't know, and it's a Jewish story that is, of course, relevant to us as disciples of Yeshua. Um, and it really caught my attention when I learned years ago that Hanukkah is actually mentioned in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. um, and I figured there had to be more to that story than just a sort of passing mention. And, uh, and I felt like I wanted to know that. Yeah. Well, because people right now are thinking, 
I never saw the word Hanukkah in the Gospels. Right. <laughs> but you're making you're making a good point. The passage you're referring to is in John 10, which clearly is showing us that Yeshua, Jesus, was in Jerusalem walking and most likely teaching in Solomon's colonnade in conjunction with the Feast of Dedication, and that is our Hanukkah reference. Hanukkah is not mentioned in the Torah because the events recorded in the book of Maccabees, where we get uh, most of our story, uh, that's about 160-some years or so before the birth of Yeshua, and yet there is Yeshua in Jerusalem at the temple during the Feast of Dedication, and that's where we derive the word for Hanukkah from the Hebrew word for dedication. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems safe to infer that Yeshua was there in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah. And I don't mean yep. eating delicious jelly-filled donuts, although I wonder <laughs> if he probably did eat some sweets or so. I, I like to think that they were eating oily <laughs> foods or something. I, I like to think that too. I, I, I Donuts were a were a later development, but I would like to think that he had something at least oily and delicious. But like we said, donuts or not, he was there in the temple. Why? That's the question. First question. I mean, Hanukkah, as we just said, is not part of the Leviticus 23 biblical festival calendar. Why was he there? And what does that mean for disciples today? That's the question. Yeah, well, that's why we're bringing Aaron on, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to dig a little deeper into this popular story and see if we can't uh, discover some answers to those questions. Let's do it. I'm excited. If you want to know the Jewish Jesus, don't miss out on a free subscription to Messiah Magazine, where you'll discover his life and teaching, learn about the biblical festivals, and get connected with Israel. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. Messiah Magazine is a free, donation-supported quarterly publication of First Fruits of Zion. Shalom, Aaron. Hag Sameach. Happy Hanukkah. It's an honor to have you on Messiah Podcast today. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to join you guys today. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. I, I pray that you've now consumed at least some significant quantity of oily food. Oh yeah, yeah. Here okay. at at, my, at the EB household, uh, we do that that part of the of the holiday and the ce- celebration very well. Uh, good, good, good. <laughs> yes. Are well, you are you more of a, a sukhanyot kind of guy or a latke kind of guy? Oh, look, you know, I think with my family, we got this. We have this combination in my family. You know, my you know. My family being Ashkenazi, but also my wife growing up in Israel, uh, it's like we got everything. Last night we had bimuelos. I mean, it's like oh. we got latkes. We got everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a dream. Yeah, I want to come well, over I, there. <laughs> me too. Me too. So we we we've been making jokes about uh, oily foods a lot, but we're we're here to talk with you about beyond the oil. And you, Aaron, are the author of of a number of incredibly good books, Biblically Kosher, First Steps in Messianic Jewish Prayer, Rabbi Teaches to Pray. Not only those titles, you've been instrumental in developing Messianic Jewish resources for First Roots of Zion or Vine of David, Sabbath Table Prayer Book, The Vine of David, Passover Haggadah. So uh, a, a, a healthy catalog behind you. 
And uh, with that catalog in place, we figured, you know what, Aaron probably has some pretty good stuff to share about Hanukkah, stuff that Messiah podcast listeners need to know. But before the deep stuff, how about just a brief overview of Hanukkah for those who, as I jokingly said before, might only know it as the Jewish holiday that happens somewhere close to Christmas? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story that you typically hear in children's books, uh, okay. and that's that that uh, the Jewish people were were worshiping God in peace in in their holy temple, and then a wicked Greek king named Antiochus came along and told them that they must accept the Greek religion, and he comes and he defiles the temple, and um, and uh, so the Jewish people united under under you know on, as one under the leadership of Judah the Maccabee uh, fought back against the Greek army and miraculously defeated them and then uh, you know even though they were vastly outnumbered and then they went and rededicated the temple but when they went to go and light the the great golden menorah there was only enough sacred oil to last one day but a great miracle happened and the oil lasted 8 days long enough for them to produce more oil so they instituted this festival of Hanukkah to commemorate the miracle of oil, and that's why we eat latkes and and jelly donuts to this day. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the story that if anybody knows about Hanukkah, that's definitely the story that most of us know about it. And that is that God caused a great miracle for the Jewish people in extending the life of the menorah oil, uh, and that was used to rededicate the temple. So, so what are we missing here? Well, c- uh, keep in mind that. Uh, Hanukkah is a commemoration of a historical event that happened, like a lot like the 4th of July. Uh, so, you know, there's the miracle of the oil, but, but, but what is that really? I mean, oil taking longer than usual to burn. So we take eight days out of every single year for eternity to celebrate that. Uh, I mean, to celebrate ultimately energy savings. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> According to to uh, the sages, actually, the miracle of oil burning slowly happened every day when the temple stood. The, the western lamp in the menorah always st- stayed lit longer than the rest of them. So even, even that miracle wasn't that unique. Yeah, I mean, sure they they relit the menorah. I mean, that's a good thing. But and but where is that menorah right now? It's out. Why are we still celebrating the lighting of the menorah and now we're suffering with having the light out? I mean, there was also a military victory. Uh, but you know what? We've had plenty of dramatic military v- victories in history that don't get their own holiday. I mean, plus this military victory was short-lasting la- in the grand scheme of history. I mean, if you think about it, it kind of it set up a kind of illegitimate non-Davidic kingdom over Israel, which then imploded about a hundred years later, and that's what mm. we're celebrating. This, yeah. <laughs> do you? And do you think that when, like, when this country, the United States of America, when we uh, eventually, you know, may it last a long time, but eventually, when it collapses or becomes overthrown by some other power, will, will people, Americans, still keep celebrating the Fourth of July, the Day of Independence? Right. I mean, it, it by the time of Yeshua. More than a generation had gone by since the Hasmonean dynasty collapsed. Um, so this was already this was already history for them, and uh, and, the, and the Romans took over. The Romans had had taken over by for decades uh, by this time, and yet 
they were still celebrating Hanukkah. He was celebrating Hanukkah. And so there must be something more to this historical event that gives it significance. Something There must be something about the miracle, uh, something about the victory that continues to endure to this day. Mm-hmm. You, you know, um, every... Every Jewish holiday is the same basic narrative. This is a well-known joke. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Right? Yeah. right? <laughs> I saw that on a shirt one time that I yeah. really wanted to have a nice <laughs> cartoons drawn with it for all the festivals. That's not a bad thing. I mean, we won. Let's eat. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that is that that is kind of a, that is a common pattern. But you know what? Hanukkah doesn't exactly fit this pattern because um, at least at first, Antiochus wasn't just wasn't trying to kill Jews. I mean, not until the revolt started. I mean, and then, you know, once the country starts revolting, yeah, he's going to uh, naturally going to try to kill the revolutionaries who are attacking his soldiers. Mm-hmm. Haman tried to kill the Jews. Boo. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pharaoh tried to kill the Jews. But but not Antiochus. His goal wasn't to just kill Jewish people. Right. Okay, so for 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 context, Haman is connected to Purim, uh, read Esther. Pharaoh is connected to Passover, read Exodus. And yes, killing killing the Jewish people was the end goal for those guys. And right. you know, you're saying, and and I I am sometimes I I switch back and forth between Antiochus and Antiochus. Since you're calling <laughs> yeah. him Antiochus, I'm going to try to remember yeah. to do that. But Antiochus and the Hanukkah story, it is different. How? I mean, what what was he all about? And what you, you've talked about, why we're still doing this, what lasting effect did the Maccabean revolt have on this world, our world? Uh, yeah, well, l- let's study the history a bit. Let's try to understand right. what really happened. Um, and so so we have to kind of go back a long, long ways to get the context. We'll start with the golden era of ancient Israel. Um, the reign of King David and Solomon. Mm-hmm. Now that was that was not the messianic era, of course, but it's the closest we've ever gotten. You know, because a righteous king is sitting on the throne over all the tribes of of Israel in peace and security. You know, Solomon built a beautiful temple for God. No other nation posed a threat to our existence or ruled over us. It was Israel. It was they were in true independence, serving God. Yeah. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, inherited the throne. There was a, a civil war splitting the kingdom into two, um, an invasion from Egypt. Eventually, Assyria captures the northern kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar co- conquers the southern kingdom and destroys the temple. Now, uh, it's important to know that the the goal of warmongering emperors like Nebuchadnezzar is not to destroy I mean, Nebuchadnezzar didn't just hate Jews or, or try to, mm-hmm. to exterminate them like Haman or, or Hitler. He, he, just wanted to, he just wanted to conquer them. The goal of a conqueror is to increase their power, their, their control, and their wealth. I mean, why would you destroy the things that you're trying to own, right? right. So the, in, in, in a short time, however, what happened is Babylon, Babylon was taken over by the Persians. Now, King Cyrus allowed the Jewish people. He's now he's now their emperor. He he allowed the Jewish people to return and and rebuild their temple. Um, you know he's trying to to get get some support from them. Um, as a little you know, as a little, in, I'm interrupting you, but I just yeah. want to I just want to reference. 
Cyrus Koresh, right? Yeah. Yep. Isn't isn't he he's referred to as a as a Messiah type, right? Correct. The word yeah. Mashiach, because he allowed them to go back. So he was he was good to the Jewish people, and he was way. good to the Jewish people. And, okay. and you know, it's 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 in his best interest to yeah. to you know give your subjects as much of what they want as you can. You know, yeah. and then and then he can they they won't rebel against him. They will mm-hmm. be loyal to him. It's and so that's that's what's in his mind. But he yeah. he retained control over the land. You know that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be honest, that worked pretty well for the Jewish people as well. I mean, as long as they paid their taxes, they didn't yeah. have to worry about you know national security or anything. They 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 could just be Jews, and worship God in their temple and. You know, things were pretty good. It was fairly quiet. It was it was an uneventful time in Jewish history mm-hmm. um, until there's another big upset. You know, uh, eventually um, Alexander the Great overthrew the Persians, um, and he overthrew all Israel and all the and the surrounding nations fell under the control of a new Greek empire. You know, uh, Alexander attempted uh, to unify his empire through Hellenistic culture. Um, so Hellenist is um, is basically another way to say culturally Greek. The idea is that if we uh, if we erase all dividing lines between different ethnic and cultural groups and then we make everyone the same, you know, forgetting who they once were, then there won't be wars of independence. Uh, so and this is a different philosophy from from Cyrus. you know so, so the idea is if everybody sees themselves as Greeks, then, well, there's no problem with the Greek empire ruling over them because why would you rule against, you know, why would you revolt against yourself? If we're all mm. Greeks, you, know, what, you can't revolt against the Greeks. Right. Um, so assimilation, he believed, wisely believed, was the easiest path to control. Um, so Alexander spread the Greek language uh, and the Greek uh, religion and customs and dress and and manner of life throughout all the provinces. And uh, this was welcomed um, or at least accepted by many vassal kingdoms he ruled. It's like, this is the wave of the future. This is modernism. Get with the, get with the program. Get, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, however, Alexander didn't force the Jews to Hellenize. He knew that that wasn't going to work. He, mm-hmm. did, he didn't force the Jews to adopt Greek culture and religion. Um, he was smarter than that. Uh, and when Alexander died, uh, he died pretty young, and he left no obvious heir or successor. Um, so, so now there's there's competition for power, and his di- kingdom was divided between his generals. Um, and, and as a result, there were multiple Hellenistic kingdoms all struggling for power. They were all mm. in that same Hellenistic uh, cultural setting. Um, they all kind of had that philosophy of we're all we 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 adopt this Greek culture, but there are multiple different uh, kingdoms now uh, competing. And in around 200 BCE, there was a battle. And uh, the Syrian side, the Syrian division, took over Israel. So Israel was then under what's called the Seleucid kingdom, named after the general Seleucus. So that's the, the, the Seleucid kingdom is the empire that we're talking about in the story of, of the Hanukkah revolt. Um, and that's where that mm. comes from. Um, so the ruler over the Seleucid kingdom at uh, at that at this time was a a guy named Antiochus the Third, 
and and as the new ruler over this volatile and sensitive territory, you know, he wanted to keep the local population happy. So he promised the that the Jews would be free to worship and and live according to their ancestral customs. Hmm. Which, which, as you mentioned, seems to be a logical thing that a smart leader would do instead of wanting to kill everyone, um, which there's a unique spiritual component of that. I always see like why, why the Jewish people so, so often have wanted to be uh, that they're they, there's this need to eradicate the Jewish people. It's, it's mm, so strange, but so we're in 200, we're meeting Antiochus Third, but then we're moving up to this time where the problems really start as we meet another Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes or Epiphanes, however we want to say it. But, you know, you know you're off to a bad start when you call yourself God manifest, which is like <laughs> yeah. what Antiochus uh, Epiphanes means. It's a bad start. True. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Antiochus Epiphanes, who's the well-known villain of the Hanukkah story, um, is the son of Antiochus III. So he's Antiochus IV. Mm. Um, and so now I'll tell you a secret about this whole story. This is what you don't read in the children's books. Um, you know, sometimes the stories we tell make it sound like this was a war between Antiochus and the Jews, that Antiochus tried to force the Jews to become like Greeks, but the but the Jews resisted. But that is not really true. Mm-hmm. The truth is that there were two different kinds of Jews at that time. Um, there were the Jews who wanted to ad- wanted to adopt Greek culture. They wanted to mix Judaism with Greek religion, and it wasn't because they were being persecuted or forced. Mm. They weren't. They they felt like this was how Judaism was supposed to modernize to get with the times. They thought that this was how. Jews were to survive in the new era. They actually liked Greek culture. It was in fashion. I mean, there's a lot to like about it. It's, uh, it, there, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, then there were the traditionalists uh, the, who felt that Judaism should not be diluted or, or defiled by foreign influences. They felt like the Torah couldn't be compromised, must not be changed. And so that the true conflict of this period was between these two groups of Jews. Progressives be- and traditionalists. Yes, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, the, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right. doesn't it? Exactly. You know, um, um, this, the, this conflict between these two sets of Jews was, you know, existed a long time before Antiochus got involved at all. Um, in, 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 initially, Antiochus didn't really even care I mean, they're fighting against each other. This was just another civil war, a war between different groups of Jews, traditionalists and progressives or Hellenists. Mm -hmm. You know, the the sages do tell us about that. that So it's not completely a secret, but they they usually only hint about it. Um, And the reason that they only hint about it is because they want to avoid speaking negatively about Jewish people. They want to avoid Lashon Hara. And so they place more emphasis on the role that Antiochus played and less emphasis on on the role of the Hellenist Jews. Um, there was a there was a, a decent high priest at that time. Um, his name was Choni, um, and uh, he was a traditionalist. Um, he had a brother who was an ardent Hellenist 
named Yeshua. Um, and this he was this 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 Hellenist named Yeshua uh, was you know changed his name like so many Jews did. He changed his name to Jason. Interesting. So, yeah, Jason wanted to to want, he wanted Jerusalem to be like other modern Hellenized cities. He looked around at all the other cities and how they've been updated and Hellenized. And so when Antiochus Epiphanes rose to power, Jason went to Antiochus and he said. I'll give you 440 talents of silver. And you got you got to realize that is the equivalent of many millions of yeah. dollars, right? So he's he's giving them a bribe or a, a payment. If you will make, he said, I'll give you 440 ta- talents of sil- sil- silver if you make me the high priest instead. Which, I mean, now all of a sudden we're putting the high priesthood in under the power. He's offering wow. it on a silver platter, literally, yeah, wow. to yeah. Antiochus to give him the power to decide who's the high priest. He says, I'll give you 150 more talents if you allow us to build a Greek gymnasium, like a wrestling arena and a youth center. And if you declare us all to be citizens of Antioch with all the rights and, and of citizens. Now, Antiochus liked that idea, uh, especially liked the money part of that sure, idea. Sure. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> you don't so, say <laughs> right, right. So uh, Antiochus marches in and kicks Coney out, and his brother Jason becomes the new high priest. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jason Jason goes ahead and he builds that gymnasium. Um, he starts to heavily promote um, and popularize Hellenism, and you know at, at this point the temple service is barely even operational. Uh, because why? Because the the priests are all at the gym doing naked Greek wrestling. <laughs> it sounds that's a good. That's an image. Uh, uh. Yeah, it, it sounds like a joke, but I'm see, I'm a completely serious. That's uh, there's there's no one left to do the temple service. Mm. So so three years later, um, Jason is still paying off his his debt to Antiochus. I mean, he's taken out quite a big loan here. Um, so he sends. Uh, another Hellenist guy named Menelus with the money to finish up the paperwork. Here, here, Menelus, can you make my final payment to Antiochus? So Menelus takes this money, but he, and when he gets to Antiochus, instead of just f- completing the payment, he he this he outbids Jason by three hundred <laughs> more talents, and says, "Hey, give me the high priest title." He and he secures the high priest title. For himself. Now, here's the kicker: Menelus wasn't even a Cohen. He wasn't a, a a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. He was he was the he was from the from the tribe of Benjamin. Mm-hmm. He wow. doesn't he is not even qualified by the Torah to be a priest at all. So so Menelus comes back now. I mean, because Antiochus doesn't care what the Torah says. Menelus comes back now as high priest and chased Jason out of town as a fugitive. Now, okay, but of course, Antioch. Now, Menelus has got a, a debt to pay. So, Antiochus's de- collectors come by asking, "Hey, Menelus, when are you going to pay? When, when are you going to pay your money?" <laughs> Menelus would say, I'll, "I'll get you the money. I'll get you the money." Just, but he never had it. So finally, fi- finally, uh, Antiochus summons him and says, "All right, Menelus, we need to talk." And he said it in a Godfather voice. Like, this, is yeah. the, this is the original Syrian mafia here. Right, right. <laughs> we, we need to talk. So, uh, so just then, uh, Antiochus 
um, right when he's about to have this meeting, Antiochus gets a news bulletin that uh, a couple of his cities are are revolting against him. So, so Antiochus turns to his assistant, whose name is Andronicus, and he says, "Okay, you deal with Menelaus, get the money. I have to go deal with this political situation." So uh, Menelaus takes this opportunity, this, you know, the of this of this, uh, this upset, and he tells Andronicus. Listen, I know just where to get the money. So he goes to the temple, to the holy temple in Jerusalem, goes into the treasury, and he clears out all the holy golden vessels. Mm. And he gives those to Andronicus to pay his debt. Okay, so Choni, remember Choni, that the old high priest, the good guy? Yeah. (laughs) He saw what happened. He saw them them hauling out the 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 goods from the from the temple. And he goes public with the scandal and lets everybody know. So now Menelaus is, you know, Menelaus uh, persuaded Andronicus to kill Choni. Choni is hiding somewhere at this point because he knows that that he's an en- enemy uh, of uh, of Menelaus. So so he and so he he's hiding out and he's in some he, and he Andronicus comes, he finds where he is, and he's Choni, just come out. I swear I'm not going to hurt you. Just come out, you know, and and we can, you know, work things out. Famous so last finally, words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so finally, Choni comes out, and Andronicus immediately kills him right on the spot. Okay, all right. Now everyone's mad when the word gets out about this. I mean, you thought it was a scandal before, but mm. now now everybody's mad. Even non-Jews in other countries here heard what what went on, went down here and they're mad about it. They're mad about Choni getting killed. They're mad about the temple getting robbed. So Antiochus, you know, he was busy dealing with this other situation. He comes back and he sees this absolute mess that that Menelaus and Andronicus made. And so he he has his officer Andronicus killed over this. Yeah, so 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 later, okay, Antiochus is is out battling the uh the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt. This is like another major uh kingdom. This was one of uh, Alexander's other other off, you know, break off kingdoms. So he's he's they're they're disputing borders and, you know, pushing back and forth. Try, he's trying to gain more ground against the um this Egyptian kingdom. So a rumor gets out that um that Antiochus was killed. But of course, he wasn't killed. This was just a rumor. It gets back to Jerusalem. Yeah, Antiochus is dead. Okay, well, remember Jason. So he he had run away as a fugitive. That he was the other Hellenist high priest that was ch- chased away. So he gets he hears this this false rumor that that Antiochus is dead, and so he thinks now's my chance. So he gathers an army of a, of a, a thousand men. And he storms Jerusalem with a sneak attack, and he's hacking down Jews left and right. And the city is is in utter chaos. And Menelaus is in a hiding in a tower somewhere, and ultimately, you know, Jason with his big army doesn't ma- manage to 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 gain full control of the city, and and he, they chase him away. And he's chased away for good. And with all this deception, intrigue, murder, I could see a I could see a. A Netflix series for Hanukkah really oh, unfolding yeah. before my eyes. This is this is good, but so so Antiochus has another name, Antiochus 
Epimanes, which is the mad, the crazy dude. The crazy man. Yeah. But I, I'm sure when he hears all this that's happening, he's mad in a different kind of way, like red, <laughs> steaming, fuming mad. So, yes. and and so, what's he do? Well, yeah, he he is absolutely furious, and because because to him, it seemed like all of Judea was in a revolt. It seemed to him like mm. that's it. They have they're they're starting their own country here. Um, so he decides to march back to Jerusalem with his his soldiers, and he really started mowing people down, um, men, women, children, and in three days, a hundred twenty thousand oh, people wow. were killed. And about just as many were sold into slavery. This was mm. a terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, and uh, he he just marched into the temple, and Menelaus is standing there with his with his arms open wide, and uh, and Antiochus walks in, and he just Menelaus just opens up the temple tre- treasury, and welcomes him in. Antiochus comes and cleans out everything that's left in the temple. And he just carries it off to uh, the capital city. Ah, okay, okay. So this is actually where the story begins, you know, with Antiochus or Antiochus. He's coming and he's he's stealing the the temple treasuries, um, and and so from here we actually I, I, some of the story begins to come to life. So Antiochus he sends thousands of soldiers to continue attacking the Jews. We know about this. He banned the practice of Judaism. Right. He banned Torah study, keeping the Sabbath. I think there's even stories of, of forcing people to eat uh, uh, pork and yep. You know yep. all this all this kind of the familiar uh, Hanukkah. Or at least if you dig a little bit deeper, it becomes a little bit more familiar. So this is where that's that's at now in the story. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, exactly. Okay. Yeah. The, the, so so the temple was taken over at this point. Um, it became a, a a carnival of idolatry. I mean, it was dedicated to to Zeus. Uh, the the courts were filled with temple prostitutes. The altar was covered in forbidden sacrifices. Yes, it's as as bad as you can imagine it. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, in the town of Modi'in, um, there was this one defiant traditionalist priest, and his name was Mattathias or Matityahu, and. He took a stand against this defilement, and a revolt began. Um, he fled with his five sons into the Judean hills, um, and uh, they began began to uh, train a militia. Um, so uh, Mattathias's son Judah led his army. This this army uh, called the Maccabees. In in Hebrew, Maccabee means hammer. And, and that's, a, uh, you know, that's a little historical context people should know. I think almost uh, most Jewish kids think grow up thinking Judah's last name was Maccabee, right? Uh, yeah. He, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's some interesting theories about where where they got this name. Um, yeah. One, yeah. Um, I think the most reliable one that uh, I've heard is that that uh, it's um, um, it's a, it's actually an acronym for Mishmirat Kohanim. Benay, and I can't remember the name of the of the order of the priesthood. So all the priesthood, all the all of the the priests are divided into different families, and so it actually is sort of a, almost a last name. And yeah. that it just so happens that that acronym happens to spell the word hammer. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. Kind of, kind of neat. <laughs> you know, and the and the Maccabees are like real um, heroes. And in the in, you know in the times of the Gospels, you look at the names of these five sons and how. Um, and they're all very familiar. You've got oh, yeah. Judas, S- Simon, uh, you know, mm. uh, John, uh, J- Jonathan, 
and Lazarus. Basically, those are the names of the Maccabees' sons. And uh, if you were to if you're to put them in Greek, um, so that's that's why everybody in the Gospels has those names is because wow. they're they're um, they're they're wanting to be like the Maccabees. Yeah, that's a cool uh, connection. Yeah, the 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 traditionalist Jews. Um, that at that time they gathered an army, right? So the Maccabees gathered this army, people who wanted to take back the Jewish people, take back the Torah, the and and the temple and everything. But the pro- problem is, you know, how could they possibly expect to form an army that could stand up to the Seleucids? It's actually kind of ridiculous, even to think that. Mm-hmm. It. But you know what? What what choice do they have? It was a matter of faith and survival for them. They they really didn't have a choice. Um, they're up against a, a superior force that outnumbered them several times over. Um, but it did happen. The God granted Judah and his fighters victory against all natural odds. This was a big miracle. Um, when the Seleucid governor saw the the Maccabees gaining ground, it didn't happen all at once. It took it took years. Um, but when they saw that the, the Maccabees were, were gaining ground, they sent in this huge invasion to completely exterminate the Jewish people. Um, and when Judah heard about this, um, that this, this invasion was coming, he gathered a prayer meeting. And he gave one of those, this, I mean, talk about making a movie about this. Right. He gave one of those moment of truth speeches that, that military leaders always deliver in the movies. You know, he stands up and you can, I mean, I'm, I'm just hearing the, 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 you know, the cinematic score, you know, swelling right. as he's saying this, yes. he goes pacing back and forth the battle <laughs> right, line. Yeah. Right. He goes, you know, for they trust to arms and acts of daring, but we trust in the almighty God who is able with a single nod to strike down those who are coming against us and even the whole world. And everybody, everybody <laughs> cheers, you know. Right. And you know, That's epic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Today is not that day, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so long story short, they... They actually send the huge army running. It's incredible. And he ended it by yelling, freedom! It's like, <laughs> freedom. It's, it's like Braveheart, With a Scottish but accent. Better. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like Braveheart, but better. Because, honestly, they, they, they trusted God to deliver the miracle. And that's mm. what makes this so beautifully compelling for us today. So is, is, is Antiochus in uh, Jerusalem at this time? Um, no, uh, actually, Antiochus himself was engaged in another unrelated battle in Persia, and there he is suffering an, an embarrassing defeat. So he's humiliated there in Persia um, when he ne- hears the news about the failed invasion in Judea, and so he it, <laughs> not a so good he, day. <laughs> yeah, he's not having a good day. Exactly. So he decides that he is going to unleash his anger on the Jews again. So he, yeah, you know, he he's got a big ego. Yeah. Um. So he tells his his chariot driver to turn around, head to Jerusalem, and not to stop until he turns it into a cemetery. So, just then, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, this excruciating pain seizes him in his gut. You know, it's like he's having some kind of medical issue. It has nothing to do with anything. It, and um, and so, but he orders his driver faster, faster. And, and this, the chariot is screaming down this, this rocky path and it hits a bump 
and Antiochus <laughs> falls out of the chariot and oh, he gets gosh, mangled badly. Oh man. And um so they had to pick him up and and carry him on a stretcher and uh he never made it back to Jerusalem or to Antioch by, before he died. Oh, that's that's so sad. <laughs> let's all let's all play a small violin. Right, right. <laughs> so then that's the Maccabees are they're recapturing Jerusalem and the temple, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they they purify the temple. Um they remove all the traces of of pagan worship. They they rebuild the defiled altar. Um they they lit the menorah, they burn incense, they replace the bread of presence. Um they reinstitute the daily offerings. And uh everybody knows what day this happened, right? This is the the 25th day of Kislev. Uh yeah. the uh, two years to the day after the uh the temple was de- defiled. And uh, and so this and then the, the famous story we learned from the the uh, the Talmud is what occurs now. Um, they went to light the, the menorah. They only found enough of this of the sacred oil to fuel the menorah for a single day, and it would take eight days to procure more sacred oil. But a miracle occurred, and the menorah stayed lit for those eight days. There we go. All right, now we're we're uh, dovetailing the story nicely to what to what we know. Yeah. 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 And it's actually interesting because that that miracle of the oil uh, that doesn't occur in like the, in the historical books like uh, in, in in Josephus, but it does occur in um, in the Talmud. And you know, mm. it's a and the reason though that they bring this up in the Talmud is it's a beautiful sign from God um, that and it's a part of our Misora um, that um, that shows that that it demonstrates that God had a had. A, it demonstrates that God is the one who did the the military victory. That it wasn't the Maccabees' strength that actually accomplished this. That's the that's the idea. But the 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 miracle of the oil is not the reason for Hanukkah. I mean, Hanukkah would would already be a holiday if the miracle of the oil hadn't happened, and it would be mm. utterly miraculous. Um, and yet, there, you know, it's 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 there's a difficulty. It would be easy to think to suppose that that military victory of the Maccabees was a fluke. It would it it'd be easy to imagine if that miracle of the oil hadn't happened. It would be easy to imagine that it was a clever strategy, that it was skilled fighting, um, right. that like it, in that, Braveheart and yeah. other other types of movies with the underdog, you know overthrows the bigger force. Yeah, good. Point. That has happened other times in history. I mean, it 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 was. It was a very ordinary miracle that f- fell within the realm of the physical world as we know it. It, w- it was surprising, yeah, but it probably seemed miraculous at the time. But it, it was still natural, especially for us, uh, as we weren't there to see how miraculous it was. I think about the miracle stories of the War of uh, of, uh, of 1967 and in, in in Israel. Um, all the miracles they experienced then. We look back at it and we go, "Oh yeah, wow, that was pretty strategic uh, on Israel's part, or whatever, or lucky." Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's it, it, as history goes by, a simple historical military victory. Is going to is going to just fade into a, a, histo- a historical note, you know. So the menorah is a sign that this wasn't just a physical victory, but it was a spiritual victory from God. I mean, it's kind of like in the movies when someone has this amazing dream and then they wake up and then they find something 
from their dream that's in real life and know that that dream was something real, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too, because, you know, the the menorah, the temple menorah obviously is no longer lit today. So we have this, there's this battle, not a battle between Jews and Greek soldiers. It was a very different kind of battle. Covenant faithfulness and Hellenism against syncretism more than the Syrians, really. It was a battle for identity, for keeping identity, for keeping covenant fidelity, for keeping Torah, the identity of the Jewish people, the war between purity and defilement. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? There are still Jewish people today. That is the miracle. That's that's yeah. what what says uh, that that the Maccabees won. You know, when when Antiochus banned Judaism, it was a great threat. Uh, but Israel was in much greater danger under the leadership of Jason and Menelaus. Yeah. Ultimately, they were right. they were really the bigger enemy here. Um, their defilement of Judaism, their dilution of Jewish identity, came just a little at a time. And and by the time anyone recognized the danger that the Jewish people ha, uh, would disappear at this rate, um, that they were already they would already have become too weak and too apathetic to do anything about it. Yeah. You know, by the by the first century, there would have been no more Judaism as we know it. And everything that came, comes after that, by you know, by the time the Gospels are written, they wouldn't have been written. There would have been no people uh, for the Messiah to come to. So the miracle of Hanukkah endures because the Jewish people and the Jewish faith endures. Hanukkah represents a near-death experience mm-hmm. of the Jewish people. And, yeah. and anytime you have a near-death experience— you're obligated to uh, to give thanks to bench gomel as as they say um, in the tradition is in the in the in the synagogue. So, but to but Hanukkah has helped us to inoculate the Jewish people against future threats. It, you know, it it has made us aware that assimilation can be just as dangerous as as blatant blatant anti-Semitic attack. And I think it's kind of a ironic the that Hanukkah is the most well-known Jewish holiday right now because it's certainly not the most important. Um, but it's the one that is more observed by assimilated Jews than any other holiday. <laughs> right, it's, right. it's and and it's the one that gets that that gets assimilated. The one that gets you know Christmasified and everything. It's yeah, it's just yeah. it's, yeah. A, it's a bizarre uh, phenomenon. <laughs> I think there's something mm. spiritual behind that. But you know, um, uh, you know, it, some enemies oppose the Jewish people by taking away freedoms, uh, by physically attacking Jews, by burning down synagogues. Uh, or setting off bombs, destroying businesses, God forbid. Uh, but there's another type of attack that is so much more difficult to defend against. Uh, and it comes in the form of, of culture and values and trends. I mean, it, it, some, it offers something very alluring in return for Jewish identity, and that's acceptance and it's approval. And, and it, mm-hmm. offers, it, it offers unity. It, it's, it comes bearing peace. After all, if we all become the same, then there will be no one to revolt. You know, there if we if we if there were no religions, people people think then there will be no wars. I wish I had known more of this story as a young Jewish 
boy because I remember being at school during Hanukkah and everyone was celebrating Christmas and you know I I, I remember feeling out of place and wanting to sort of have that acceptance and approval that came with just kind of being like everybody else. And the, the challenge is, man, how incredible would it be for, for us to really know the history at a young, young age and be able to know what Hanukkah is really standing for? So there's such a, such a powerful story behind, as we've jokingly said so many times, the donuts and, and even the menorah. I mean, uh, you've done a great job of putting in the menorah in context. And, and I think so many people probably are familiar with the quote, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's often misattributed to Alexander Hamilton. It's more likely a statement from a guy named Gordon Eady, who was a uh, doctor uh, who was treating World War II uh, PTSD patients and stuff, but but he he did say that. But what he said after it is quite appropriate to our story. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And he said something that could be attributed to Judah and the brothers. He followed that up by saying, "We need to realize we're fighting two wars: the war of arms and the war of ideas," which is. Mm a very profound part of the Hanukkah story. It wasn't just the military struggle. It was, it was that assimilation and syncretism. And many, for today's context, many of the ideas, the quote, ideas of God's people are under attack. The Hanukkah idea war, by that I mean, just standing up for what you believe uh, in their minds, even to the death, it's, it's still, quite relevant. And I guess Yeshua told us we, we, we might need to be prepared for things like this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's true. The biggest war we face right now is a war of ideology and the space in our own mind and our identity. Um, and that's where we really need to stand guard. And I think about Messianic Judaism and its own struggle for identity. And mm-hmm. it's an, another amazing Hanukkah miracle in, the, in, a, in, a, in a sense. The Jewish people within the body of Messiah who have been told for years, um, you need to become like everyone else. And, uh, and you're not allowed to, to you know, keep the Torah or to, uh, to assert your own mm-hmm. national identity. Um, and yet, here it is. It's, 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 it's coming back. The, it's... it's uh, it's a resurrection, so to speak, of the Jewish uh, identity within the messianic world. It's a, it's, mm. it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The spirit of the Maccabees, and exactly. not in a weird way. I just mean in a cool way, the Hanukkah <laughs> way. So, you know, Aaron, I, I, as always, when I get to read your materials or hear you lecture or teach or just in a conversation, uh, we always learn something from you. So thanks so much for sharing right. insight with us about the real meaning of Hanukkah. And so we appreciate that that time and investment that you put in to hopefully helping some other young Jewish people understand what they really hold in their hands as they're holding the shamash to light the, light the candles. So we appreciate the time. Look forward to having more meaningful conversations with you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It's such a good time uh, speaking with you. You should all have a Freilich and Hanukkah. Thank you. Hugs, man. <laughs> Torah Club is the world's fastest-growing Messianic Jewish Bible study. 
You can start or join a club today at TorahClub.org. Know Jesus better through an in-depth small group Bible study and fellowship with other like-minded disciples. Start a club or join a club at TorahClub.org. Torah Club is where disciples learn. Well, Reuben, that was uh, quite the history lesson, I would say, uh, and an unbelievable story uh, of the covenant fidelity of the Jewish people. Yeah, I'm a pretty big history buff, so I always love learning more of the details and trying to follow that plot. And yeah. um, I, I look a, at we those need a things. Flow chart of, uh, yeah, you really J- do. Jason, Tony, Menelaus. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And there's so many familiar names too, because I thought Honey and the, the circle drawer, I think it's yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the same name. There's a lot of these these repeat names. It's it's really cool. But you know, what what was your biggest takeaway? Well, I think I think the subtleties of syncretism, the you know, and syncretism is this attempted uh, amalgamation of different religions and cultures or schools of thought. And, and, and there's, there's certainly something to be said for unity and for, 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 um, sharing an identity with, with cultures different than yours. However, we, we live in this really weird, weird time, which is hearing Aaron teach it's like being back when Alexander's coming into Israel and saying, you can't do that anymore. You have to be, you have to look like this. You can't have an identity. I mean, we, we hear it referenced as cancel culture. And if you don't agree with what I say, you're out, you know, you're done. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're canceling you. And, and in essence, Hanukkah and what was happening is a cancel culture story. It's and and obviously it got worse as as Antiochus is is mass murdering people and selling them into slavery. We're not in that place right now, but we're we're in a we're in a weird place, and uh, we really, I think that that Hanukkah the it was so powerful for the disciples for the time of Yeshua because the world their world had descended again into chaos and oppression and 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 persecution and they were longing to see that we I, I referenced the spirit of the Maccabees but you know they wanted to see Yeshua bring the kingdom there was hope that the Maccabees would bring the kingdom and you know that the temple was going to be functioning in its great glory like the Davidic reign and the and and that that didn't happen but they were they were desperate to see the kingdom. And so even within Hanukkah, I still see our desperate plea that Yeshua is going to come and and he's going to let us live our lives in the kingdom with our unique identity. And in that day and age, in that great day, there will be the freedom that we have all longed for, not the William Wallace kind of freedom. I'm talking about the Yeshua, the Messiah, <laughs> ruling and reigning from Jerusalem in a restored temple kind of freedom. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and that's actually a good point, because in, in John 10 that you mentioned earlier, when he's in uh, the temple teaching in, in Solomon's colonnade, that's what they ask him, don't they? they say, will will you stop? Well, I can't remember word for word, but it's like, don't keep us in suspense any longer. 
are you know tell us are you the messiah mm -hmm. that we're waiting for yeah. so it's it's interesting that's a i think you're exactly right that's what they were that's what they were hoping for and having the story that that Aaron was just sharing with us as the backdrop to that short little passage yeah. where you know the it was the time of the the festival of dedication and having that in their minds and they're they're standing there you know probably recalling the events of of Judah and, and his brothers and this this uprising against this uh, oppressor and they're in they're there in Jerusalem and Rome has occupied them now and and so yeah that's really I never thought about that. that's a really cool uh illusion there about thinking of that that kingdom and and Mashiach yeah it's yeah, awesome I appreciate that connection too because it's very very powerful well uh Reuben a pleasure as always Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for joining us on Messiah Podcast. And, and so dedicate yourselves to having a, a happy Hanukkah, as you now know the very, very big story. So shalom, shalom, and Chag Sameach, happy Hanukkah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish, and that changes everything. This podcast is an extension of Messiah Magazine, available at messiahmagazine.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review, along with a five-star rating, wherever you're listening now. Today's podcast was hosted by myself, Damian Eisner, along with Ruben Ramos. Our executive producer is Boaz Michael, and the editor-in-chief is Daniel Lancaster. This episode was directed and edited by Jeremy Schoenwald. Original music was written and performed by Joshua Aaron. The show notes for Messiah Podcast were edited by Candy Bishop and are available at messiahpodcast.org. If you're interested in learning more about the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out Torah Club which is an international network of small study groups who meet weekly to study the Bible together from a Messianic Jewish perspective. To start a club or join a club, go to TorahClub.org. Until next time, Shalom. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me like the waters cover the sea